Heavenly Father, we come needy, but we come confident because we know your promise, that your spirit helps us see into these supernatural things, takes our heart of stone and makes it soft to understand these truths. Would you do that now as we hear your word, as we hear it read and we hear it preached? And would you soften us to receive it deeply into our souls and into our minds and into our hands? that we would be changed by this encounter with a risen Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the very words of God from Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Once again, quite a famous story, this time of Israel crossing the Jordan River into Canaan. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, And the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. 
Now, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Rivers. Rivers have a rich presence in literature for as long as there has been writing. I think immediately of Mark Twain's literature based on the culture of the Mississippi River or the river that brought boats and irrigation, also floods and ice dams to the fictional Ohio River community of Port William in Wendell Berry's writings. And one of my favorite songs, which we've sung recently, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand. And there's that old haunting image where crossing the river represents death and emerging on the other side represents life on the other side, like in the Pilgrim's Progress and in other writings. Rivers represent life and rivers represent death. As life, rivers became modes of transportation and means to water fields. Think of the Nile River Valley, the Mississippi River, the Ohio River, and even the canal system of our own Cuyahoga River in Northeast Ohio. Along rivers sprung up not just plants and animal life, like the tree planted by streams of water in Psalm 1, but also came civilizations and farms along rivers, all the way back to Genesis 2, where a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. But the river also represents death. You can think of the river Styx or the river Acheron in Greek mythology, which marked the boundaries of the land of the dead. In many agrarian places and even part of this, this part of America in recent years with the Nashville floods and the eastern rural Kentucky floods, uh, these very rivers that bring life also swell and bring death and destruction. And you read Isaiah 43 and there's a, this assumption that when you pass through the rivers, you will be overwhelmed. But the promise is when you pass through the rivers with God, you will not be overwhelmed. And there's that recurring theme throughout the Hebrew Bible where water is dangerous. It represents death and chaos. When I go camping, I have mixed thoughts about rivers. I need to be near them because I need water to filter, to purify and to drink and to cook. And I have to check rainwater levels and rain forecasts, though, because on a handful of occasions, the swelling of a river has made it impassable and camping even dangerous. More often than not, when I come to a river that I've planned to cross, I look at it and say, this will not end well. And more often than not, I have to turn around and go back the way that I came. Israel stands ready to enter the promised land with one massively obvious obstacle before them. The Jordan River. A huge obstacle between taking hold of this land that God has promised to give them. And in our passage today, we see perhaps the most important moment in the entire book of Joshua, where God fulfills his promise and he is with them as they cross that Jordan into the land of promise. We're going to look at the presence of God, the power of God, and the promise of God as we look at Joshua chapter 3. The presence of God, the power of God, and the promise of God. 
Israel has come to the end of their three days of preparation here at the beginning of chapter 3. The spies have reported back from their journey into Jericho where they visited with Rahab just across the river. And they pack up and they leave their camp, waking very early and heading one day's journey to the banks of the Jordan River where they lodged again and where they prepare to see God do wondrous things. But as they stand staring at this river, they need some comfort. Imagine being those people of Israel facing a river at least twice the size of the Cuyahoga River here in Kent, knowing that on the other side of the river is a land filled with hostile enemies preparing to fight you. I would be terrified. I would at least want a game plan or some kind of explanation. But God gives them very specifically a game plan. And it's not just a game plan for them to execute. It's one where he has promised to be with them. It's a game plan where his presence is crucial. In preparation to cross the Jordan, the people receive the comfort of God's presence. Because in verse 3, you see, they are instructed to look out for that Ark of the Covenant and to set out from their place and to follow it, to follow the Ark of of the covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is not just a ritual religious symbol or some kind of relic. It was the centerpiece of Israel's connection to their God. This was where God chose to dwell with his people in this golden chest. And it's where in the tabernacle, God's presence filled that center chamber, the Holy of Holies, a sacred place, a place of limited access. And eventually it would be God's representative presence in the temple in Jerusalem. And in that Ark of the Covenant were the tablets containing the Ten Commandments. And in it would also be the budded staff of Aaron and a jar of manna. But at this point, they are still receiving manna from God. And it is God's presence that leads his people from this place across the Jordan into that promised land. And the command is to set out from your place and follow it. Specifically, the instructions are to stay a little over a half a mile away, 2,000 cubits. Seems like a long distance, but the explanation is so that you can see it and follow it because you've not been this way before. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So as the people stayed back and the ark descends down to the Jordan River, they, uh, upon the the heights, would still be able to see where the ark is going down to the river. And Joshua says, you've not passed this way before, but who has? Well, their parents have. Not in this specific location, but their parents have passed this way through the sea before. And so what God is doing is graciously showing them this second generation what their parents had seen. He's going to show these wondrous deeds. He's going to show them what he showed the generation before them, that he is with them when they pass through the waters. With that Ark of the Covenant, God's holy presence among them and leading them, they are to follow it because it will show them where they are to go through the waters and into promise. This is very reminiscent of Moses and Israel leaving Mount Sinai after they have already crossed the Red Sea. God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. The presence of God with his people is crucial for their worship, for their success. 
And it's also important to note what Joshua tells the people to do as they prepare for this leading of God. He tells them that they are to consecrate themselves in verse 5. Consecrate yourselves, he says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. To consecrate is to ritually cleanse. This is to wash clothes and to abstain from sexual relations. Usually it's in preparation to encounter God in festivals or worship. Why? Because God is holy and they are sinful. And they are about to encounter wondrous things of God. Wonders, they're called in verse 5. Or other translations say amazing things. And so Joshua commanded the priests to take up the ark, the very presence of God among Israel, and to pass on before the people of Israel. So the priests took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. If that seems repetitive, it is, and it is on purpose. Because that's what historical narratives do. They repeat the important things very specifically in word for word. And in this action that the author is writing about, we see God is going before the people of Israel. And he is leading them to the Jordan River, into the river, and into the land he promised them. And this is also very much like when Israel came out of Egypt. This is is a type of rewind, a repeat, a reminder that God loves his covenant people dearly and he will not leave them nor forsake them as he reiterated in chapter 1 in his instructions to Joshua. In a sense, this scene says to the people of Israel, remember those days when I was near to your ancestors. Remember those days that I parted the Red Sea when I powerfully overthrew the enemy Egypt, when I saved my people from bondage? My promise has not faded a bit. I'm just as near to you, my people, as I was then. My promises are just as sure now as ever. Wait and see. That's what Israel is about to see. But before we wrap up this section talking about the presence of God, I've got to ask us as the church, do we go where God leads? Are we people who care first and foremost, to follow God's presence before we step out anywhere. If God has promised and called, He will be with us. Even when it looks like that river in front of us is impossible, God goes before us. This applies to us personally, and it applies to us corporately. These moments of God's presence and his leading are reminders and encouragement of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Even wayward people like us, even fickle people like Israel. God proved himself in this story to be with them in powerful ways. His presence has not left his people. As, he, as Isaiah reminisces on this, he writes, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It's God speaking to Isaiah in remembrance of these things. God has given His presence to us. He's given us His words as Israel was commanded to study, as Joshua was commanded to study, and He has given us His Spirit, His presence who is near to us, in whom we live by faith. And the call of the Christian life is to live in that Spirit, to deny ourselves, to faithfully hear God's Word and obey it by the Spirit's guidance and the Spirit's leading. God's presence is with us. The power of God. 
power of God is evident in this chapter because what comes up next is the crossing. The waters, they step foot into the river and something happens. In the midst of these waters, the people are protected by the power of God. God promises that he will exalt Joshua when God's power is on display. Joshua's leadership will be, will be validated. You remember the importance of that from chapter 1. He will be revered as Moses was. He will be lifted up in the sight of the people and they will see him as their deliverer because of God's power. And the higher Joshua is exalted, the deeper the people who follow him are strengthened. Because under Joshua's leadership, God will repeat that same miraculous act of salvation that God had done by the hand of Moses. He will part the waters and guide them through. And as a part of this, Joshua gives specific commands to the priests. The priests take the Ark of the Covenant and they are to go and stand still in the Jordan River. And as he's doing that, he calls all the nation to come and to hear the word of God in verse 9. Come hear the words of the Lord your God. This is literarily important because it's building suspense. But this is theologically important because Joshua had been commanded to be soaked in God's word and to speak it. And here he does exactly that. He is proving that he is a faithful leader. And this is still important today because it represents that call of the Christian life to be those who come and listen to God speak, especially in the face of an impossible situation. To be the people of the book who cling always to these words of life. And Joshua said here, as he called the people near, in verse 13, he says, When the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, here's the promise, The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. God has promised to do a mighty work. A mighty work. Imagine being told that you would see God's wonders tomorrow. I wouldn't sleep. It would be more exciting than Christmas as a child. Because these mighty deeds Israel is familiar with. They remember the stories of what God did in Exodus chapter 3. These wondrous deeds against the Egyptians. These plagues are wonderful deeds. Mighty works. God showed his power over the natural world. And he showed his conquering of all these false gods who are associated with these forces of nature among, among the pagans back in Exodus. And he is about to do the same thing in Canaan. If he was so powerful over the Egyptian gods, he is equally powerful over these so-called gods of, the Canaan, uh, of Canaan. And he is headed into what people believed was their territory, but it will present no difficulty to, to Yahweh. Because he is about to do a mighty work. That mighty work in particular, stopping the Jordan River. And here, look in verses 14 and 15. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the bank of the water, ready for the moment that he tells us what happens, but we get this parenthetical weather update. Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The suspense is building and we're waiting to see is this promise that Joshua just communicated on behalf of God. Is it going to happen? The water is raging. It's telling us now the Jordan, crossing the Jordan is one thing. 
crossing a swollen river that could be up to a half a mile wide with rushing waters is another thing. If it was difficult before, it is absolutely impossible now. Because this is the time of year that the banks overflow. With the impossibility heightened here, Israel is looking, saying, there is no way. Unless God shows up in power. Because they need a miraculous intervention. And you get to verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. Little geography lesson. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, that is the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. Finally, we get to the point of the story. We get to this wondrous work The waters stood and rose up in a heap. Just like the waters of the Red Sea stood in heaps on either side of Israel as they passed out of Egypt, so the waters of the the Jordan stood in a heap, and God shows himself to be in control over all the earth. Did God use an earthquake? Did God use a landslide? Or was it a supernatural, invisible barrier? It doesn't matter because it was God's work on behalf of of his people. God was acting for his people, and we know that it was more than just a natural coincidence because we're told that they walked through on dry ground. This is one of those surreal moments. The people of Israel are witnessing right before their very own eyes a second exodus. They are witnessing God acting in in as much power as he has before to save his people. They have seen the wondrous work of God And he has shown them just that tiny glimpse of how powerful he is. And he has shown his unwavering covenant faithfulness to his people. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Verse 16. Moses led them out of Egypt through the water, or through through the dry land. Joshua leads them into the promised land as they pass over the Jordan right there by Jericho. That dry land to walk upon. When the water receded, it's, it's important to note that there weren't algae, slick, wet rocks, and slippery clay to traverse. In this passing comment in verse 17, it's, we see the character of God. He is one who makes dry land in the midst of water. Dry land in the midst of water is a recurring theme throughout creation and throughout God's setting apart His people, Israel, in, in Genesis 1-9, God said, let the dry land appear in the midst of those waters that he had just separated, and it is there that he created life. In the Exodus, the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea when there was death threatening on all sides. God gave them life and dry ground in the midst of it, and here we see again God saves his people on dry ground. He saves them entirely. When death seems to be the only option, For Israel at the Red Sea, it was the enemies behind and the sea before. And for Israel coming into the promised land, it was the river before and the enemies on the other side. And the only option seemed to be death. But God gives a place of life. God is light in the darkness. God takes brokenness and makes it beautiful. 
when the enemies of darkness seem to have won and death seems to be the only option, when our sins have overwhelmed us or condemned us with even one offense against the holy God, then our God, the same God, Yahweh, says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He gives life where there is only death. And he provides this place of life to carry his people into promised land, into a blessed land, as he carried Noah and his family through the floods of destruction, as he carries us through the trials of life to that land of promise. The people's job is to watch, to get up, and to follow. And at the end, we'll see in the next chapter, they respond properly in worship because the power of God is on display. Let's look now at the promise of God. The promise of God they encounter clearly on that far bank. Once they have reached the other side, we will see this again in more clarity when we get to chapter 4. But when they get to the far bank and they're already tasting it as they pass through this river, they are being assured by the promises of God that he is fulfilling in this moment and that he is making in this moment. Because in this moment, which again, many have called the most important moment in this whole book, God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled. God promised to Abraham this land of promise in Genesis 15. It says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Speaking of the descendants of Abraham after they've been in slavery in Egypt, in the fourth generation, they will come back here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What does that mean now? The iniquity of the Amorites is complete. And so Israel's presence to purify the land is proper in God's timing and God promises on that day. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land. And here and today, he gives them the land. And it's called there in Genesis 15, the land of the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And you see that very similar list there in verse 10, just to connect this back to that promise that God had made. And it also, in this, we see God's promise for what he will do. Look at verses 10 and 11. Because when Israel passes through, when the Ark of the Covenant of God goes before Israel into the sea, God promises here in verses 10 and 11, that this is going to be a guarantee of two things. First of all, the living God is among you. Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you. This is what God has promised. He has promised that when you see this, I will be with you and I'm going to take the land. If he can stop a swollen river, he can conquer their enemies. Who is this God? Verse 11 calls him the Lord of all the earth, even over the land of Canaan, even over the rivers. He is God. If the hearts of the people of the land have melted already, as we heard from Rahab's report, well, what are they now? Imagine those reports and the fear that it strikes because the Lord of all the earth is leading Israel into their land and up to their city gates. It's really important for us as we go through this that we realize that God's power and his presence and his promise are tasted here in the promised land. But you remember that that rest that God promised them, that Joshua gave them, 
was not enough. It was not the fullness of what God was doing. What is God up to in redemption? Why does this story matter for you and for me today? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all these theologies and themes that we've encountered today. Jesus is the presence of God. Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is the promise of God. Just like the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence with Israel, Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his image. Jesus is God with us. And then you look at the priests in their roles. Well, Jesus is our final priest, the great high priest who's foreshadowed by these Old Testament priesthood, this Old Testament priesthood. He is the one who completed the need for the priesthood because he stands always to make intercession for all believers from that once and for all sacrifice. And when you look at the person of Joshua, the one who is exalted, the one whose leadership is confirmed in the eyes of the people, we realize Jesus is the one who is ultimately exalted over his people. Jesus is the God-filled leader of the people of God. And 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that it was Israel that was first baptized in the Red Sea. We see them baptized this time again, this time into Joshua at the Jordan River. And it all anticipates that coming baptism of Christians into Jesus, the better Moses, and the fulfillment of Joshua. And as Joshua was exalted in the eyes of the people, so Jesus has been exalted by the power of God on display in his resurrection, in his death, and in his resurrection, and in his his ascension. God has made Jesus great. Philippians 2 tells us God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The highly exalted one, Jesus. And Jesus is that power of God. Against the impossible. As impossible as it was to cross a river with a whole nation like Israel, it's even more impossible for you to pay for your sins. It's even more impossible for you to climb your way or to work your way back into good relationship with God. That relationship that was severed due to your inherited sin and your active sin is impossible to fix. And so it was Jesus. Quoting here, Pastor Rhett Dodson. In his commentary on Joshua, he says, Christ had to pass through death, the Jordan, to procure our inheritance for us. As God was powerfully there, stopping death from overwhelming the nations, so Jesus has stepped into death and stopped death for us so that we might pass through death and into life. Jesus took on that impossible force of sin and death and all that Satan could throw at him so that believers could pass through and all believers will pass through. Read, look at verse 17 here. And as we read verse 17, think of Jesus as these priests. Now, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Jesus is that one who stood there. And in him, all Israel comes into life and into this promised land. He bore that wrath of God, poured out upon his body on the tree so that we would never be washed away in the current of sin's curse. He took the condemnation of sin and he gave all the covenant blessings of abundance and life and union with God. 
to us. He earned that promised land, that inheritance, not just the land, but the whole new heavens and the new earth, but even more, seeing God face to face. He earned us that right to see God and to be with him forever, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. No one can comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him in Jesus, the power of God. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises of God. All these Old Testament promises anticipated by those who were trusting in God. Jesus fulfills even that very first promise of deliverance in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And God welcomes us into that relationship with himself by faith in Jesus. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, if he has kept for us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, how will he not also with with him graciously give us all things? God is for you. And there's no obstacle, even the most challenging ones that you are up against right now. There is no obstacle that you have ever faced or are facing or will face that can separate you from the love of God and Jesus. And there is no obstacle that will take away that promised land. God is with you. He has used and will use his power to conquer your greatest of enemies. And he will carry you to completion by that supernatural power of his spirit who is with you. And that's because he has conquered sin and death. Again, in verse 17, it says, And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. I think it's important for us to remember that we pass through this together. We do this as a church. We do this as the bride of Christ. As the whole of Israel, the church, the ones who are being consecrated, who are made pure and prepared for that marriage to the groom in that land of promise. And God will never leave us, even when we pass through the waters or through the valley of the shadow of death, because he's given us life. So I urge you, If you've never trusted in this Jesus, trust this God of power in his salvation. He keeps his promises. He draws near to his children and he fights on our behalf. Don't be like the ones in Jericho who hear of his wondrous deeds and resist him. Forsake your earthly gods and trust in this God, the Lord of all the earth. And believers... I urge you, lift up your eyes to Jesus again and again and again and again and see God's presence before you as he leads you. Have you lost hope in his promises? Have you forgotten the richness of what he is giving us? This inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, of which we still get a foretaste today, that we get to live in his strength by his spirit that we have hope? Have you forgotten these promises? Renew that hope today because God has not forgotten his promises and God will not fail to deliver. He who has promised to be with you is with you and has gone before you and has powerfully fought for your freedom from evil and he has fought for your reception of this inheritance. And he will never leave you nor forsake you, as he promised to Joshua in chapter 1. There is that sweet land of promise for us. 
the new heavens and the new earth where God will be with us so nearly. He's going to be closer to us than the sunshine on our skin because he will be the light in all the land. And he's promised you his Holy Spirit. He is with you now. You don't have to wait for that day to be near to him. He is near to you now by his Spirit as a guarantee that he keeps his promise, that you will receive this abundance. He is nearer to you than even the air you breathe. Let us together get up from our camp and follow God where he goes, always listening to his word and doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your presence among us. We praise you for your powerful work on our behalf, and we praise you for this promise that we have. All of this in Jesus, all of this by your Spirit who is with us. Would we not neglect this great salvation, but would we wait eagerly and would we get up and follow you in every way? And would we support one another in this journey? Would this be a place where we are glad to do this together? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.